0: going to read the whole psalm together, but our focus this morning is going to be on the very last verse, one of the more familiar verses of the psalm. This is, I believe, a familiar psalm to us all, Uh, many verses in here that we're very, very familiar with, but verse number 14 will be really our focus this morning. But beginning our reading in verse 1, we'll read the entire psalm together. Psalm 27, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, Above mine enemies, round about me. Therefore, while I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy, I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so from verse number 14, it is that subject of waiting on the Lord that I want to preach to you about this morning. But before we come to look at this more specifically, let's seek the Lord in prayer together and ask his help as we have our Bibles open here. Let's pray. Our Father, we do come this morning acknowledging that what we have just read is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that you would take, as it were, that sword of the Spirit and do that work in every heart that we need. We pray that This message this morning would be a means of encouragement to us all as we, in our various ways and various circumstances of life, are very often called upon to simply wait. We pray for grace to wait. We pray for patience. And we pray that you would deal with us very kindly and gently this morning as we consider these truths. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of waiting for the Lord. I don't think that there really is anything more difficult in the Christian life than learning to wait on God. Our natural bent, the natural inclination of the flesh, is simply to take matters into our own hands and try to work things out ourselves. We are by nature impatient people. We want it now. I believe Psalm 27 verse 14 is one of the more familiar verses on this subject. Uh, my intention is not to exposit so much verse number 14, but to really use it as a springboard thematically into some various topics this morning as we consider what the Bible would have to say to us and encourage us on this subject of waiting, waiting for the Lord, which I say is not an easy thing to do because our nature is opposed to that. Our nature is against it. We want things according to our own schedule, our own timetables, and we want to see immediate results. I was just very, very recently, one morning about, oh, 8.30 on Amazon to order something and it said if I ordered in the next 27 minutes, I would have it that day. Like today, I would have it. Amazing. And, and we get frustrated and all been out of shape if our Amazon order takes more than the advertised two-day delivery. We want it now. We want it immediately. But if you have not discovered this already, you are likely to discover it soon, that many times... The Lord's timetable and your timetable do not necessarily match. Your agenda and God's agenda sometimes are difficult or are, are different. Your plans and his plans are often not the same. Now, it might be that your plan and God's plan are the same or at least very, very similar in their content, but not necessarily The same in their timing. And in those situations, what we must learn to do is to wait on the Lord. This works out in our lives in so many different ways, does it not? You may, for example, be waiting on the Lord for an answer to a very specific prayer. You go to the Lord and you you seek the Lord for this very specific thing, and you're not receiving any kind of answer. And so the natural tendency is to figure out how to accomplish this answer on your own. How you can begin to put the wheels in motion and get the thing done the way that you perceive it should be done and obviously God should agree with your plan and make it happen. Well, it's very difficult in those situations to learn to wait. I don't want to step on toes or, or, or make anyone feel uncomfortable in this illustration, but maybe a couple is praying for the Lord to provide for them a child. They're, they're trying to have a baby and they're, they, they believe it would be the Lord's will for them to be parents and, and they're trying and they're trying and they're seeking the Lord for this, but nothing comes of it. It's very difficult in that circumstance to wait. And then they begin to consider other options, perhaps... Adoption, which is not a wrong thing, but that could be in certain situations a taking matters into one's own hands. That's between a couple and the Lord with great counsel. But to wait in that circumstance is so difficult. It's so hard to do. Maybe it's an older teenager or a young adult and you've been praying for the Lord to provide for you a spouse. And you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. Only to really have no options, it seems. And so how to wait, how to be patient in those circumstances, very, very difficult. Waiting on the Lord is not an easy thing to learn, but it is one of the most important lessons that you as a Christian can learn. We have examples of this all through the scriptures. You take Moses, for example. When Moses fled from Egypt, he was, as the Bible describes it, on the backside of the desert. He was there with Uh, midian he was there for 40 years we read the book of genesis and and we read the account and i'm sorry exodus is where moses we read the account we we go through all that and we lose track of the calendar we lose track of the timing but it was 40 years he was there you think about abraham god had told abraham you're going to have a son bible tells us abraham believed god's promise We'll we'll look later at a passage in Romans 4. Abraham believed God's promise. And again, we read the biblical text and there's not a calendar on the page. And so we we lose sight of the fact that from the time God promised the birth of Isaac until the actual birth of Isaac was 25 years. 25 years Abraham had to wait. David was told that he, or I'm sorry, David had a great desire to build the temple. But David was told, no, you have to wait. Your son will build this temple. The 120 in the upper room, they were there and they were praying. They were seeking the Lord. And they were told to, to pray and to wait until the Holy Spirit came down upon them on the day of Pentecost but yet you consider each of those examples, and there are a myriad more examples in Scripture that we could look at, but you consider each of those examples, and you look at the blessing received as the result of a patient waiting on God. Not an easy thing for any of these to do, but yet the results are so worth it. So I want to consider this theme this morning of waiting on the Lord and look specifically at the question, what is involved? in waiting on the Lord? What is involved in that? If you are to wait on God, what are you going to be doing in this process? And so I want to consider this morning just three things on this subject. First of all, to wait on the Lord includes confidence. It includes confidence. And what I mean here is for you to wait on the Lord means that you must have some confidence in the fact that the Lord is actually worth waiting for. And that the thing you're waiting for is worth waiting for. And so really the issue here is that of faith, is it not? Do you really believe God? Do you really believe that God is worth waiting for? And do you really believe that the thing God has told you to wait for is actually worth waiting for? Do you have faith in God? And so let me ask that question just to your heart this morning. Is the Lord worth waiting for? Now, you're all good Christian folks, right? You eat at Chick-fil-A, so you're obviously good Christian folks, right? Is the Lord worth waiting for? And you know that the answer to that pop quiz is yes, the Lord is worth waiting for. You all know that that is the right answer. But I don't ask that question to your head. I ask that question to your heart. And your heart might give a different answer. Your brain, your head, might say, well, of course, the Lord is worth waiting for. He's the God of heaven. Of course he is. But your heart struggles with that answer. Because in your heart, you know you've been waiting so long. And the length of time involved in that waiting... That makes you really search and really wonder. Am I asking for the right thing? Is this hopeless? Is this whole event that I'm anticipating never going to come to pass? And you're tempted, at least tempted, to come to the conclusion that, well, maybe it's not worth it anymore. Maybe I just need to... Execute plan B and just go forward regardless of the consequences. Now, you've done that before. We've all, in our life, Christian life, we have sought to implement and execute plan B, our own agenda, forget it, tired of waiting, moving forward. And you know, as well as I have experienced, it ends in catastrophe. It ends in chaos. It ends in destruction. It ends, it ends in hurt. It ends in heartache. Wait for the Lord. The hymn writer, I don't know if you know this hymn. I tried to find it in our blue book. It's not in the blue book, it's not in the black book. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this. I grew up singing this, and maybe um, you former Baptist folks uh, will recognize this chorus. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches or his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. It's not only a good hymn chorus, but it's good theology and good advice for us as believers to wait on the Lord. And so there's a confidence, there's a faith that we have, a confidence in God's plan for one thing, a confidence in what God has said is going to be done, One of my favorite attributes of God to consider in various contexts is the attribute of God's wisdom. Whatever the Lord is doing, he is doing the most wise possible thing that can be done. Now, wisdom is one of those communicable attributes, meaning that we as believers can also possess a level of wisdom. Our wisdom is different from God's, And that God's wisdom is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Our wisdom is no such thing like that. It's not infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. But we can nonetheless have wisdom. And our wisdom devises a plan often. But we understand and we have to know that God's plan, God's wisdom, and what God is doing is the best thing that can be done. And so we wait and we trust that God's plan is going to be right. I think we as parents can understand this to some degree. And if I can incorporate you children into the illustration for just a moment. Sometimes as parents, our children come to us with something, a question, a plan that they have, something they want to do or whatever. And we as parents, we, we have to tell them no. No. And the no is based on our experience. And the child says, well, why? Why are you telling me no? And we as parents sometimes don't give a great answer, but I submit a sufficient answer because I said so, right? That's, kind of the, that's page two of the parent handbook for you children. That Just in case you want to know, it's on top of page two. But because I said so. But sometimes that because I said so, I can't really explain why I'm saying no. It's just everything in my spirit, your mom and I, we've talked about this, and no. I can't explain it all. I just know, we just know that this is not the best thing for you. Trust us. We've said no. And you leave it there. And as a child, you don't understand because you've thought through it. And the answer obviously should be yes. Right? The obvi- it should obviously be yes. But you see, what you don't realize is, as young people, I don't mean to belittle you with the word children, but as young people, what you don't realize is that your parents are taller than you. And what I mean by that, they're taller than you in that they can see farther over the horizon than you can. And they see dangers, they see pitfalls, they see roadblocks, they see problems that at your wisdom, you can't perceive, you can't understand, you you don't have the experience, you don't have the life experience to know that over the horizon that you can't see, your parents see... This is a big problem. And so they, in their wisdom, have said, no, you need to wait. Or, no, this is not the best thing. Well, if we can take that illustration, God is infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably taller than we are. And knows the end from the beginning. And there are times that he says to us as Christians... He, as our Heavenly Father, says to us as his children, no, you need to wait. Because he knows the dangers, the pitfalls, the problems that lie ahead. God is all wise. His plan is the wisest thing for you. But how often do we kick against that plan? We rebel against that plan. I don't mean to multiply illustrations, but I think this illustrate something for us here that is valuable as well let's say you go to a store and you want to buy a bag of apples and you're there kind of toward the end of the day and you pick up one of the bags of apples and you notice that two or three of the apples in that bag are rotten and so you put that bag down you pick up another bag and well there's rotten apples in that bag too and the produce manager is just over there fiddling with the zucchinis. And he sees you holding your bag of apples and he, he comes over and he says, oh, I'm, I'm very, very sorry. I haven't gotten to the apples yet. We actually just got a brand new shipment of apples in. Let me go get you a bag. And you say, well, no, I don't have time for that. I'm just going to buy this bag of rotten ones. And you, and you leave with the rotten apples. Well, Even at saying that illustration, there are Snickers in this very room because you know that's absurd, right? I mean, why would you not wait like a minute for him to go get you a brand new bag of apples and why would you want to buy these rotten apples? You don't have time to wait for that little bit to get good apples. Well, that would be foolish to say, no, I'm going to buy the rotten ones and not wait for the fresh ones. Well, you see, I think... I'm convinced of the fact that many times, we as believers, we settle for the rotten apples. Because we're not willing to wait. We're not willing for that patience of what the Lord would have for us that's so much better. We're like, no, I don't have time for that. I'm just going to take the rotten apples. And I'm just going to make do and make the best of these rotten apples. And I'll figure it out myself. Don't worry about it. Well, we can have confidence in the plan of God. That God is worth waiting for. If I can tie that illustration to scripture, can we look at Abraham for a moment? For my illustration, was Ishmael not a rotten apple? Abraham was was told, This is what's going to happen. You wait for this. I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham, 13 years in, is like, "Ah, I'm tired of waiting. And what did he get? He got a rotten apple. Because he he didn't wait for God's promise, for God's plan. Well, we can have confidence in the plan of God. Because that plan of God that we're waiting for is also a confidence in God's promise. The promises of God are sure to come to pass. They're sure and they're steadfast. The, The strength of the confidence that we can have comes from the one that we're having confidence in. The one who makes promises is the same one who's told us he's a God who cannot lie. He's not deceiving us. He's not trying to pull the wool over our eyes. He is trustworthy, and he is worthy of your faith. Abraham had to learn that lesson. Abraham is a great illustration in this whole theme, because Abraham is one. If you read, for example, Romans 4 and verse number 20, if you look at that in your Bible, I'll just reference you back to verse number 19. In verse number 19, it says that Abraham considered not the deadness of Sarah's womb. In verse 20, it says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, Abraham is an interesting case study in this because he's so much like us, or we are so much like him. In that, did Abraham believe God's promise? Yeah, he did. Did God ultimately fulfill that promise exactly as he had promised to do? Well, yes, he did. But in the midst of it, Abraham committed great sin. Abraham did for a time, not... Totally, but for a time. He did stagger at that promise. He said, well, maybe I don't understand the promise. Maybe I have a better idea. Maybe this is what God's meant by his promise. And so he bore Ishmael. Now, this is monumental because I don't think this is overstating anything, but the entire course of human history would be very different If Ishmael had never been born. The the Iraq wars. Would literally never have happened. If Ishmael had never been born. The entire course of human history. Took a left turn. Because of Abraham. Seeking to take matters into his own hands. And not waiting on the Lord. This is how serious it could be. This is how serious it is. To wait on the Lord. A confidence in God. A faith in him and his plan and his promise. That what he has promised, he is able to perform. And so waiting on God includes a confidence in God. But secondly, I want you to see waiting on God involves communication with God. Confidence with God, but also communication with God. If I go down to the local Starbucks... I know our brother Darren is a big fan of Starbucks. And so I could go down to the local Starbucks. I can order my grande pike roast coffee and go pull me up a chair and sit at the table and wait for Darren to show up and have our morning chat together. Well, all that would make sense had I, the day before, the week before, sent Darren a text message and said, hey, let's meet at Starbucks on such and such a road at 9 o'clock. If I had sent that communication to him, and he had communicated back to me with, great, see you there, will all that me going in, ordering the coffee, finding a table, sitting there and waiting for Darren, would make all the sense in the world. Had we communicated that that's where we were going to meet, and that's what time we were going to meet, But if I never sent that text and never had any communication with him, hey, let's meet at 9 o'clock. It would be utterly foolish for me to go order a coffee and sit there and wait for somebody to show up that I never even talked about showing up if there's no communication. Well, for you to wait on the Lord indicates that you have previously sought the Lord for something. And that the Lord has previously responded to you in in prayer, through the scriptures, through good, wise, godly counsel, a plan and a a promise. And this communication goes both ways. We communicate our desires to the Lord. Lord, this is what I need. This is what I want. This this is my desire. This is my need. And the Lord communicates to us through his spirit and prayer. That that intangible communication or through his word or, as I said, through advice and wise godly counsel. God communicates to us his, his plan. and So that communication goes both ways, but there has to be communication. Take, for example, in the scriptures, the man Simeon in the New Testament. The Lord had revealed to Simeon, before you die you were going to see the consolation of Israel. So Simeon had that promise from God. God had communicated to him that promise. And we understand from Scripture that Simeon longed to see that promise fulfilled. He waited. And for years, Simeon had waited for the consolation of Israel. Now we know from the Gospels that many had come previous to the birth of Christ claiming to be Christ. And Simeon could have latched on to one of those. And champion one of those as the fulfillment of God's promise. But he didn't because he knew it wasn't right. He knew that one wasn't the one. But when he saw Christ with his own eyes, Simeon communicated that now he was ready to die. Because he he had seen with his own eyes the Lord's salvation. God had communicated to him something to wait for. And he waited for it. And he rejoiced to see it. You take David as an example. David prayed to the Lord over and over for deliverance from Saul's persecution. But it was years and years of turmoil that David went through before he finally experienced that true deliverance. And you know that David had opportunity along the way to take matters into his own hands and slay Saul himself. But David knew in his spirit that was not the right thing to do. And David said, I can't touch the Lord's anointed. God has to deal with him. Not me. This is God's to deal with. And that's what he prayed for. And God did do that. And David's the one who wrote these words to us from Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. The Bible tells us that the Lord knows what things we have need of before we ask him. Uh, Yesterday at the men's prayer breakfast, we were looking just very briefly before we prayed at at, Hebrews 4 verse 16. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find grace to help us in our time of need. But you look just a few verses above that and the Lord in that passage indicates to us that the Lord knows everything about us. Nothing is hid from him. The language of Scripture is that we are naked and open before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. God knows all about our needs before we ever come with those needs. Yet He says, come with those needs, and you're going to find grace and mercy to help you in those times. And so the point that I make here is that we need to have that communication with the Lord. Though the Lord knows our needs, we still pray to Him, we still pray, Put those to him in prayer. And the Lord responds to us in prayer. When we bring our petitions and we learn to wait. We learn to wait for what God has, because what God has is best. And that leads me to a third thing to say this morning, and that is that what involves contentment. It involves confidence and involves communication. But lastly, It involves contentment. And this is perhaps the hardest part. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because Abraham got to a point where he was no longer content to wait. He wasn't content to wait. He convinced himself that he had misunderstood what God had clearly said before. God had clearly said that it was going to be Sarah that was going to have a child. He didn't say it was Sarah's handmaid would have a child. He said Sarah would have a child. But Abraham got to a point where he was no longer content to wait. and So taking matters into his own hands, he bore Ishmael. Well, this comes to the very heart of what it means for us to wait on the Lord because we are by nature discontent. We are by nature impatient. Burger King is brilliant in their advertising because they appeal to the eternal base of human nature. You can have it your way. Have it your way. And that appeals to the way we want it. We want it our way. I don't want it your way and you don't want it my way. I want it my way and you want it your way. And that's human nature. We're generally just discontent. But the Bible, everywhere, would tell us to be content with what we have, be content with God's providence and His sovereignty in the moment. Not that we can't seek for more, not that we can't pray for the Lord to give us advancement and great prosperity. We can pray for more while being with being discontent and and praying for more. You can pray for more while still being content. It's ultimately a matter of our heart. But you and I need to learn to be content with what God has given to us now, the station of life we're in. Because as you know, as you, you go through, times change. You young people, you're discontent with being young, and you want to know, when will I ever be an adult? When can I ever get this privilege or that privilege? Or when can I ever be allowed to do this thing or allowed to do that thing? And you pine for that that you can't have now, but just wait. And then, as, as parents, we we pine for our, our child. You have you have a new baby, and you can't wait till the baby can start talking. And then you can't wait till the baby will just shut up for a minute. You can't wait for the baby to walk. And then you can't wait until the baby just goes down for a nap. We're just we're discontent. And we always want something different. But the Lord says, no wait. Paul had to wrestle with this. I've I've spoken recently um, about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul had this thorn in the flesh that he wanted removed. Now that makes all the sense in the world for Paul to want that removed. Who, who could fault Paul for wanting a thorn in the flesh removed? We don't know what it was exactly. Some perceive that it was his eyesight that could be a problem. He, he writes some things in, in one of the epistles about, see which, with what a large hand I have written, uh, and maybe he had eyesight problems. That would be something that he would want taken care of. Uh, we read just today in Acts 14 about him being stoned, and they stopped stoning him because they thought the deed had been done. They thought he was dead, and he, he, after they all left, he got up, and three times he was stoned that way, basically left for dead. And so some have surmised that uh, in those stonings, in those various beatings that he had, perhaps there were open wounds that, that just simply wouldn't heal, and he was constantly having to fight with those types of things, It's a thorn in the flesh, kind of in a literal way. But we don't really know. But we know it was a problem for Paul, and we know it was something Paul wanted removed. And so Paul prayed that it would be removed. And you all know the Lord's answer. The Lord said to Paul, basically, no, I'm not going to take it away from you. But what I am going to do is I'm going to make the grace that I give you in the trouble sufficient. And so... The Lord is saying to Paul, what I'm accomplishing here is that my strength will be put on display through your weakness. And so, Paul, I'm not going to take this away from you. I'm going to use this as a testimony. And people are going to talk about this. People are going to talk about the fact that I am powerful. I gave you grace to deal with this problem. Everybody else is going to be encouraged by that. And Paul, I'm using you for a purpose here. Just be content with that. And Paul said, I'm good with that. That's not the King James Version, but I'm I'm okay with that. I will glory in my infirmities that the power of God may be put on display. Paul was content. Now, that's, that's a higher level than I have gotten to, and I'm not sure about anyone else. But are, are you there? Are you content with God's plan to that degree that you're willing to say, and, and I don't mean to be flippant in saying this, but are you willing to say, Lord, I'm happy to be your guinea pig. I'm happy to be your guinea pig. I'm happy to be used by you in whatever way is necessary, even if it means that I endure miserable hardship. I'm willing to be used as your servant on that level. I'm content with your plan and your promise for me. I'm okay with that. Are you there? I submit we should be. The Lord doesn't call on all of us to do such a thing. The Lord knows our frame. He knows that we're but dust. He he knows what we're able to bear and and, uh, we're not to be martyrs voluntarily. Um, But the Lord calls on that. Are you submitted to the God of heaven? Are you content with the plan and purpose of God in such a way that you'd be willing, happily so, to take that? Wait on the Lord. David tells us to wait on the Lord. But there's a promise here at the end. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. But what's going to happen? Verse 14 of Psalm 27. You wait on the Lord, he shall strengthen thine heart. It's not that you just grit your teeth and bear it. It's not that... It, this isn't willpower. This waiting on the Lord is not just a, a resolve of personal willpower to do it. No, the waiting on the Lord that we're called upon to do is something that the Lord gives his people strength to do. Something that we can ask the Lord for strength to do. This is exactly Psalm 27:14 is exactly what the apostle Paul experienced. The Lord strengthened his heart to wait and Paul was able to do so, not in his own strength. Neither can any of us in our own strength wait on God as we've been commanded to in Scripture, but the Lord will give the grace that we need to wait for Him. For God's perfect time in everything we face. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank You this morning for Your Word to our hearts. We have been challenged with a very hard thing. And waiting on you is is not easy. But we thank you for the promise you've given that you will strengthen our heart in the doing of it. And so we pray for grace in whatever circumstance or trial we face, not to rush ahead, not to, to barge in where we ought not be, but to wait on what you have commanded, what you have promised to wait for the greater blessing, to wait for the best thing, to wait for your plan. And so we pray for help in this. We pray that this afternoon as we're resting and time with our family, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for the communion table this evening. We pray that you'll bring each of us here with a great expectation of meeting with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ around this table. Uh, that we would do these things remembering what he has done for us. And so we pray for grace in the evening service. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.